0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. We're turning in the Word of God to Matthew chapter 10, where we will read together this morning as our passage, a very long portion. And we're going to spend next week in it as well, and it's verses 16 through 42 of Matthew 10. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but who are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother... And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your glorious and powerful word, and we ask, Heavenly Father, that you will speak to us through it and that you will guide my lips as I dwell on it. May it not come with words alone, but may it come, we ask, Father, with the spirit and thus with power, and may it convict us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is preparing the 12 in these verses to go out on a journey. A journey that is not just a journey of days or weeks. It's not the immediate journey alone that he has in mind as he gives these instructions. But it's clear that he foresees them going far and wide and for years yet to come. He's sending them out. He tells them not to go to any land beyond the land of the Jews. It's not in our passage, but it was said. And 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 yet he 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 then speaks to them and says, You will as you go out be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So it's it's quite clear that this this these instructions and the journey that lie ahead are greater than, more than What they're going to be doing that his instructions are for a time that extends well how far does it extend he talks about the the costs of this journey and the difficulties that those who undertake it will 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 see in their lives and he warns them whenever they persecute you in one city flee to the next for truly I say to you you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And so he refers to this journey that they're about to go on as being a journey through the cities of Israel, right? He says, you will not make it through all the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And that can be the journey or it can be their flight. Immediately prior to that, he has told them to flee from one city to the next. And he says, you won't finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Well, Whichever it is, whether it's their preaching or their flight, it's clear that they're going to continue through the cities of Israel, and this is not the Israel that we think of in the Old Testament, because this Israel includes Gentile lands and Gentile kings. He's just told them that they will be put on trial before them, And, and so it's clear he's speaking here of a greater Israel, and that when he comes, it's not his, they're returning to him at the end of this journey. You understand that? It's clear in the Bible that they come back to him, but he's saying, I will come and put to an end these journeys, this flight, this missionary pursuit of yours, and so it's clear he's speaking about the end of time here, that this is a journey that continues on and on. We need to recognize as we look at this that, that God speaks of the people and says to them that they are, well, they're sheep. I send you out as sheep. Sheep are a lot of things. Sheep are, from what I'm told and from what I've seen at times, they're stupid. And I don't think it's that you're stupid, that God calls you a sheep. Sheep are fractious. One of the the scenes that's stuck in my brain from travels in the last few years is of this huge long column of sheep in the, the Republic of Georgia miles of sheep and how how they went everywhere as the shepherds and the dogs were trying to lead them up the side of the mountain. They just went everywhere. If there was a way to escape, they did. And again, that may be who we are and it may be a reflection of the character that we share. But I don't think that's what God is speaking of, Christ is speaking of when he calls people and says, I send you a sheep in the midst of wolves. What he's saying is that you're going out without earthly means of defense. You're not going to be given atom bombs and swords. And you're not going to be given loads and loads of money. You're going to go out and you're going to feel naked. You're going to feel bereft of all the things that would, would indicate power. You're just not going to have those things. This is what the word of God says. You're going out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And therefore, Jesus is speaking here to sheep. And he's saying to them, I want you to be encouraged as you go out because there are certain things that are true. Certain things are true. Certain of those certain things are that it's going to be hard. We're going to speak about that. But then beyond that certainty, there's another certainty as well. And that is that God will be with you. And that God will give you strength. God is your strength. God will be with you and is with you. And therefore, you need not fear. Yes, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a time of persecution. He, this is the famous passage where the famous call of Christ to pick up your cross, and follow me, is stated. He's talking about this journey that that his disciples are about to engage in and really it's what all of us are engaged in, isn't it? Whether we're the apostle to the, to the Jews as Peter was, or the apostle to the Gentile as Paul was, or whether we're famous missionaries, or whether we're just normal people living our lives, this is the call. Small or great, it's the call. Man or woman, it's the call. Young or old, this is the call. This is how we're to live. This is the point of Christ calling us. He called us to do good works. He called us to plant the seed and bear fruit. This is your calling and it's mine. It's the calling of the mothers in our midst. And it's a great and glorious calling because the mothers who fulfill their job well, despite the opposition that comes when you're a faithful mother in this world, the mothers who do their job well will have more impact on this world than any other people at all. And I mean it. Fathers... lead well this is your calling to begin with in your family and thus it's no surprise that when Jesus is speaking about the difficulties that that come with this journey this life this calling that he immediately turns to a form of difficulty maybe we'd call it persecution at times it amounts to overt persecution not always sometimes it's subtle but he speaks about the area where it's going to be roughest for you if you're going to do this. And We've read just now um, 26 verses, all right? Some of those verses are describing the journey. Some of those verses are describing the strength of those who go on that journey, the strength they'll have. But you know that seven of these verses refer to a very specific challenge that you're going to face if you go on this journey. And that challenge is what? You may have missed it, but Jesus begins with it and he ends with it. He says, you're going to have difficulties with your family. Don't think that you can set off on this journey and not pay a price in your own home. The opposition that you'll face is going to be Well, it's going to be gentile kings it's going to be courts synagogues and all that but then he spends he just gives a few words to that but then he spends seven verses talking about how you're going to face difficulty with your family with those you love why so much time for the family why does he focus so much there well i think it has to do with the reality that if you go to one city and you're rejected like paul at iconium well you can move on to lystra There's another city down the road and Paul has said, or Jesus has said, move on down the road. But your family is a lifelong relationship. You can't escape your family. Jesus himself who speaks about this challenge here was one who was persecuted by his family. His mother and brothers came to take him away saying he's gone mad. In the midst of his, can you imagine what that would be like? you're Jesus, you're living to save your mother and brothers, and they're saying, he's a madman. Well, you know, you have a Messiah complex, Jesus. (laughs) It's a crazy thing. It's a difficult thing. And it's something that's vital for us to understand about our lives. Christ isn't shy in warning of the dangers that you will face if you follow him. He says you must carry a cross here, and that cross, look, if you're married... a non-Christian spouse you know something about this Now you face this every day do you say something do you shut up will you offend will you get someone angry it's just chronic and you're bound with them you can't move to the next city you've taken a covenant you've made promises and you're not going to break that it's hard if you're the only one who loves the Lord in your family it's dark it is it's hard and when you speak about God to your family and you talk about your new relationship to Jesus Christ and they look at you like you've grown a third eye or uh, a, a second nose below your first, like what has happened to you? You've left our, our line. You're, you're part of another line. How could you be growing up in our midst and suddenly turn into this? Uh, that's, it's not an uncommon thing. It's not an uncommon thing the word of God says you need to be prepared for this. You need to be prepared, parents, to be willing to take a stand for God when your children are on you not to do it. You need to. dear old man in the church I was first pastor of lost his job during the Depression. Spoke about how every week he'd come, and on one day, I don't remember what day of the week, he'd come down, and they're under the doormat. Or inside the milk box somewhere on the front porch he would find a ten dollar bill and that was what they lived on ten dollars a week slipped into his mail uh, his his milk box or under his mat and he would take one of those dollars every week and he'd put it in the offering plate as it went by in church and his kids who were nearing being grown at that time would look at him and say dad that's not what those people or whoever gave us this money for. They'd be unhappy if they knew you were giving it to the church. And he'd say, I'm doing it to honor God. Years later, that, that man's wife, he had died. And that man's wife, I spoke to him about one of their children. And I, she had told me about his life. I was a new pastor. I was young. And so I didn't know him. She told me about his life, and it was a catalog of miseries, of, well, of sinful miseries. You understand what I mean? It was just, and he did this, and he, he left his wife for this woman, and he's, he's an alcoholic. I mean, she didn't say alcoholic, but you could tell. And, uh, and, just, and so I, I looked at her, and I said, so you want me to pray that your son comes to know Jesus? And she looked at me with kind of anger in her eyes and said, no. He went to the altar when he was 12. He's a Christian. And I thought to myself, how different from her husband. Her husband had said, we're going to follow God. But in old age, about 80, this lady was not willing to follow God, but was willing to say that her son, who didn't darken the door of a church for decades who had all these other issues going on, was a child of God. Now, you're going to face these issues, parents. You're going to have your children behave in ways that are going to make you disturbed. Ways that you will ask yourself, how can this be? And you're going to face a fundamental question. And that question is, will I recognize this behavior as the behavior of a child of God? Will I accept it? Or will I not? Very dear friend, close relative in fact, had a large family and one of the members of that family decided that she didn't like her husband and that she liked another man more. And so they had the menage et trois and lived together all three in a house for many years. But when they would come to the parents' home, home that was dedicated to God, what would happen? Well, the father would allow the daughter, if she was grown, the daughter and her paramour, not her husband, to have one room and they'd put, I won't say his name, but in another room. You understand that In all the things you do with your adult children, you have a role still to hold up the kingdom of God. You have a duty to God, and that precedes your duty to be nice to your children and not to hurt their feelings. So many parents fall. They take a a tumble like Humpty Dumpty that, that is irreparable because they will not stand against their parents, their children, excuse me. I'm ahead of myself because I'm also thinking about children and parents. They've seen it many a time. A child comes alive in the Lord in college. Parents have a plan for that life. And it's not the plan that the child in the first years of serving Jesus wants usually the parents plans are plans that involve money and career and these things but you their young daughter who who could easily go to law school or med school their young daughter is saying i want to be married and have children and the parents are saying don't waste your life we didn't spend all this money on your education so that you go and get married and have kids and that young woman faces a choice and it's a choice that will frame the rest of her life will she go with her parents Or will she stand with where God has been leading her, with God? It's an important question. Right now, all across America, every pundit, every newspaper, every TV show except Fox... Every single one is saying to Amy Coney Barrett, you're a member of the people of praise? That organization in which your mother was described as a handmaiden? Haven't you read Margaret Atwood? Don't you know that to be a handmaiden is to be deceived? Forgetting, of course, that Mary was the Lord's handmaiden. And they're saying to her, Amy Barrett, Amy, what is this group? What is this group? You know? Now, if Amy Barrett were Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she could be part of her synagogue until the day she dies and no one would say a word. She could be a member of every crazy kook society on earth and people would say, ah, eccentricity. But let Uh, a younger justice be nominated to the Supreme Court who says, I have a, a supreme loyalty to Jesus Christ and the attack comes on. And the attack is not on people of praise. You understand the attack is through the people of praise on her family who are all involved in that group and on Jesus Christ himself who's honored in that group, I believe. I know members of that group and I know that many of them really believe in Jesus. And so what the world is saying to her is, Amy, drop your family. Drop this group. They're not saying drop Jesus, but of course the message is incomplete. What they're actually saying and not saying is drop Jesus. And if she leaves that group in order to to achieve her goal in life to be a Supreme Court justice, she will have given in to the attack and she will have departed from Jesus. There isn't any compromise when it comes to Christ. He demands everything we have. So I want to speak to you this morning about what Jesus says here is our strength. We're going to have, I believe it's five, I can't remember because I focused on one, but next week four more, but this week just one thing that Jesus says that you and I need to bear in mind when we're facing these crises. In our home, wherever it may be, that the world is coming at us and saying, you shouldn't be following Jesus. If you notice, in our passage, Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It's enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul... How much more will they malign, speak evil of, the members of his household? What Jesus is saying here is, I know what they say about me. And we know it from scripture as well. That the, the accusation was that Jesus was, was doing what he did because he was allied with Satan. Beelzebul means Lord of the Flies. It's not a good book. It's not a good name. Uh, and uh, Jesus is saying here, they call me the Lord of the Flies. I understand that. And uh, they're going to do the same to you. They're going to say that you are actually evil because you follow me. And if you know early church history and if you see where things are going today, it's common. Christians are called enemies of mankind. They're accused of gross immorality. That they, they do wicked things. This is part of the, the hidden messaging about people of praise. What kind of a weird group is that? They imply sexual immorality. They imply all sorts of nasty stuff. And it's not uncommon. It's always been done. The Christians were enemies of mankind. And so whenever there was a drought, Christians, the, the cry in ancient Rome was Christians to the, to the Colosseum or Christians to the crosses. And it's well known that that was what took place. And Jesus says, look, when they do this to you, how can it be that you're going to be any better than, than me? If they've called the head of the house this, they're going to call you that. Remember that Jesus' family members turned against him when you're facing family members. Remember that Jesus said, at that point, he said, Look, my mother and sisters, my brothers, are the ones who follow God. It's not just the people who claim a physical relationship. It's, It's you who follow God. Then Jesus says after this, Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden, that will not be made known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. So Jesus says to them, all right, you need to know that despite the the opposition you face, the opposition that's going to come to you, that there there is a day in which what is concealed will be made known, when, in which what is hidden will be revealed. What is spoken in darkness will be spoken in light. I want to say something, it may be surprising to you, but part of the reassuring thing that Jesus is giving here is that truth is hidden or concealed from the eyes of those who do not follow it. Truth is hidden, all right? What does this mean? Well, what it means is that when You are seeking to lead people or your family members to know the Lord. There isn't just something earthly in the way. There is something that is beyond the earth that's in the way. All right? Now, I want to be clear. The Bible says that the God of this age has blinded the people. All right? And that God of this age is Satan. So Satan has blinded people. And there are people here who are blind because Satan has blinded them. He has, he's the king of lies, and he's lied, and he's blinded people. Bible also says, do not harden your heart. So it's uh, something that we ourselves do to harden our hearts. We harden our hearts, and we become insensible to the things of God. Satan does it, we do it. But clearly, the Bible makes, makes very obvious that God hardens hearts, and that in and with those two, there is the controlling, overarching influence of God And that God must open eyes that he has allowed to be blind if people are going to see. There are blind eyes and God is holding the eyes shut. They've blinded themselves and God has said yes. And until he says no, they will remain blind. They are, things are concealed from them. It's not, Jesus says, that they they're hidden somehow and, you know, these people are looking and it's just a defect in them. It's concealed. There's a will on someone else's part to keep it from them. Hidden. Same thing. So we say, oh, wow, what's the hope in that? Well, there's great hope in that. The great hope in knowing that when you're talking to people that they can't see what you're talking about. It means that when you, when you go to your family And you speak about God to them, that in the end, unless God opens eyes, unstops their ears, softens their heart, they're not going to hear you. You can say everything you want to say, and they're never going to hear you. They're not going to listen because their hearts are hardened. So we see this in the Bible that frequently Jesus hides himself from people. He keeps himself from being known by people. He goes away and and hid himself. We're told that on a number of occasions. He speaks in parables. And the disciples say, why do you speak in confusing parables? Why don't you speak plainly? And he, he speaks to them and he says to them, you know, I'm doing this because it is to be concealed. I'm doing this because God does not want them to know this yet. I'm doing this, he says, it quotes Isaiah. You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal with them. Then Jesus goes on and says to the disciples, but blessed are your eyes, because they see. You understand, this is him speaking to you. Blessed are you that you see. Because they see in your ears. Because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And this remains the truth. The things of God that we speak. I speak to those who don't know God this morning. I speak to some whose whose eyes are clouded. I can't make you see by by saying, look, look harder, look, can't you see it? I can hold it up in front of a, a blind man. I can hold my hand out and say, look, how many fingers, how many? Tell me, tell me. He can't see that. He may eventually, because you press him so hard, make a guess and maybe even light on the right number. But that doesn't mean he's seen it. We need to understand this when we're speaking about God to people they don't see what you see so what are you doing why are you speaking to them you're doing it because God has told you to do so because you're an ambassador of a great king and because he may cause what you say to fall on fertile ground but you can't make that ground fertile only God can there must be a miracle for a person to come to Jesus it is a great miracle it is a life being transformed, and only God can do that. He may choose to use your words to make it happen, and it's a glory. But you need to have a certain humility when you come to preaching and teaching and speaking to your family and your friends about Jesus and understanding that you can't make the blind see. You can speak all you want, you can say all you want about how you should see it. It's so beautiful, it's so great. But they're not going to see it just because of that. You need to be preaching and speaking and teaching and talking for God. Your audience ultimately is God. You're you're seeking to glorify God by speaking about him. And hoping that God, out of his mercy and goodness, will use your description of him which you're pouring out before him. And he's proud of you as you do that he says, I won't be ashamed of you if you speak for me. And he also tells them, and don't be worried if you're before governors and kings and you're being forced to do this. I'll give you the words. You're speaking for God. Your audience is everyone, but it's particularly God. You're seeking to honor God. You don't have to be cool. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be wise. You don't have to have a PhD in apologetics and formal logic to do this. All you have to do is love God and speak Him. You speak Him and people will will listen. This should change a few things in our lives before we close. It should change our attitude towards the lost. We look at the lost and we say, how can they be so stupid? Or any one of a number of other things. How can they? And vital that we stop that it's vital that we understand that we are what we are because of God's grace should change our approach to the lost we're preaching to please God now there is finally a thing that is said here that is that is very reassuring Jesus says there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known But I tell you in the darkness speak in the light What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. So he's saying that the day is coming when everything will be seen. He's saying there will be a day when the world will see. You're going to speak it. God is going to give power to your speaking. And ultimately, this is a a promise that he will return. And he will demonstrate the truth of what you are saying before the whole world that denied it. That one day, there's coming a day when, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow on earth, under the earth, in hell, and in heaven, to the glory of God the Father. A great promise, a great promise. One day, vindication. One day, God will say, yeah, they're right, and he'll come in power. And he'll come in such power that the world will shake It will be like lightning flashing from east to west and the whole world will see that the Christians were right. You may be alive then, you may not, but you will be vindicated on that day and you will be vindicated in this day. The world will see the truth that you speak ultimately as they see you. It will be evident. So I want to speak in closing to those of you who don't really see Jesus, who see Jesus but see other things as well perhaps. You don't see Jesus as the whole end and whole purpose and whole goal of your life, but he's one of a number of things, or maybe he's not even there at all. What should you do? We've said that God has to remove the blindness, that God has to open the ears. So what should you do if you don't see Jesus? Well, it's interesting that Jesus, after his resurrection, appears to several women, and they go and tell the disciples that they've seen Jesus, and they don't believe the women. Then Jesus comes and is in their midst, and he says, here I am, and he, it says, chastises them for their hardness of heart. He says to them, you fools, why didn't you believe the women? You idiots, you should have believed. i had been telling you this, they told you this, why do you not believe? He says, your hearts are hard. And the implication, of course, is that they should soften their own hearts. And it may be that God has hardened your heart, but your call, God's call to you, is to soften your heart. Actually work to soften your heart. Now, when Jesus sends his disciples out, they're to preach the nearness of the kingdom, and they're to preach a message that softens hearts. They're to preach repentance. How do you soften your heart? You say to God, you know what, God? I don't see it all. But I see something, maybe a bare glimmer in this darkness. And in that bare glimmer, I understand that you're God and I'm not. Please show me more. It's amazing how you will spend years of your life pursuing something. You'll give yourself to pursuits that are, some of them good, some of them vain. Years ago when I was an intern out in California, there was a a guy who came to the church and needed money and needed money. I've told the story I was the only guy on the staff who would give him money. I'd give him my money. And uh, the other people would look at me like, okay, you'll learn. Well, I, I, I hope never to learn what they wanted me to learn, but I did learn something. Um, this guy eventually one day showed up and uh, he'd won the lottery. He'd been buying lottery tickets with my money. <laughs> and uh, all the other pastors looked at me and they went, okay, David, you learned. He disappeared, that man disappeared. This was his first break, he won like 30, $40,000 back in the mid 1980s, disappears. He's gone six months, I don't see him. He comes back and he's a broken man. He'd taken his 30 or $40,000, he'd gone to Nevada, a friend had told him that there was silver in the hills there, that he knew an area where there was silver. He had spent his 30 or $40,000 in six months searching for silver. In the hills of Nevada. Six months of his life, all his money on nothing. I've seen some of you chase girls for years. I've seen some of you young women say no to guys for years. You're looking for something and you keep looking and looking. If you need advice on good ones, come to me, all right? This is an aside, it's not, no cost for that advice. I see plenty of great young women in this church and good young men. So if you want that advice, come to me. But let me just say, um, you're willing to put off for years something in pursuit of what you think is best. You've done it at work, you've done it with your cars, you've done it with your vacation homes, you've done it place after place, you've put off gratification, you've, you've sought and sought We're talking about your eternal soul. We're talking about all of life and eternity to come. And I'm calling you to pursue God. I'm saying to you, okay, you may not see it yet. But God loves those who pursue him. If you repent and you say to God, God, I'm a sinner. I don't know the way out of this dead end street. But I know you're the God who can take me out. Help me. God will open your eyes. And you will see glory. So I call on you, repent, turn away from your ways, soften your heart, say to God, repentance is a simple thing, it's saying to God, you're right and I'm wrong and I'm going to try to live your way. And then God comes in with his power and it overwhelms you. It's like a jet turning on its afterburners and you see God, you see his glory and your life is transformed. So I call you, repent, turn to God. Ask him to open your eyes because if Jesus isn't first in your life, your eyes are closed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this congregation, Father, and for the privilege of preaching to them. Father, their fate is is my responsibility and I ask you, save them, every one of them. May they live for you, Father. Father. May they see the glory of Jesus. May their hearts be touched by the the gift of repentance. May they live for you, Father. May they understand the reality of eternity coming when everything will be seen, including whether we lived for you and loved you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.